I'm Christina. And I'm Megan. And, and this, this is, is the, the Aftermath, Aftermath of Sex. everyone. This is Christina. And before we get started in the episode, I just have to to give a disclaimer that while I was very tired, I made up words. <laughs> and more maybe more than one, I'm not sure, but the one that was blaring um in my brain was when I said myometriosis, which y'all is not a thing. Um the actual term is myometritis or there's another thing that I was actually referring to called adenomyosis which is the endometrial lining going into the myometrium of the uterus anyway in this episode you will hear <laughs> you will hear me say myometriosis which is a made up medical term sounds quite good to me but it was not a real thing <laughs> so uh, without further ado I just wanted to to disclose that at the beginning, so don't come at me, okay? <laughs> All right, enjoy the episode. Hello. Hey, everyone. Welcome. We're glad that you have tuned into our episode. We are having a good old time today. Yeah, we are. We're tired. Well, I'm really tired. It's been a pretty busy yeah. week or two for the both of us. I have met... Six brand new babies in the last 48 hours. That's many. For many. Our little community. Or for anyone, really. Megan has <laughs> run a prom. We did. So we had prom. <laughs> I would say that her journey is more harrowing than mine. I, I'm not taking credit for this prom. We had a wonderful mother volunteer who brought her family who was coming for an event. And they got off the airplane and came to help decorate. What? They are superstars. Well, yeah, when I get off the airplane, I want to go to bed. I know. Okay. If it wasn't for them, this would not have been a success. So I'm grateful. I'm sure it was great. It was beautiful. It was a winter wonderland for sure. Oh, was that the theme? Yeah, because that's the easiest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Next it looks. Year we'll do something very extravagant for their senior prom. Yeah. So I went to a basketball game while you guys were setting yeah. up and I didn't know you were there. Yeah. And then my daughter who was like, you know, just be bopping around yeah. the hallways yeah. found Miss Megan. I know. I saw her. I was like, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> just, and then I, yeah, it was fun. She came and told me, um, Megan says that you can come talk to her yeah. and, I'll, <laughs> and I'd like to take you to where she is. I'm like, okay, <laughs> so let's go. So yeah. that was fun. Yeah. I was about to see you. It was like a perk. Yeah. Because we often don't see each other outside the pod lab anymore. I know. Or at the hospital occasionally. Or at the hospital. Yeah. Yeah, that's always I'd rather not see Megan at the hospital though, because she works the night shift. And uh and I'd like to be, be sleeping. Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Although every time I see her walk in, I'm always just very excited. I'm yeah. like, oh, here she is with me. Let's talk about podcasts. Yeah. yeah. So fun. We we are having so much fun yeah, doing this. We need um, you guys to kind of pitch in a little bit, though. And if you want to keep listening, send us more ideas. We have gotten a couple of excellent questions, yes. which research is in 
in the works. In the so works. know that if you sent a question, we are working on it. Yep, we are going to answer it. It's in the lineup, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, we also need your birth adventures we because need your birth adventures. We are, you know, we we're are running out. short on birth adventures. So Megan and I, what was I speaking English just now? <laughs> Hello, um, Megan and I have decided we're going to do a special giveaway yeah. and it's going to be weekly. So listen out for that. I think our first will be next week Yeah, and it'll be special. Yeah. So keep listening. We'll have a little um, announcement episode or a little, it'll say bonus maybe on it um, to give you the details, but yeah. listen out for that. But if you can... Send your stories. Yes, we people, need your stories. People are loving listening to your stories. So much. That's what people and love the most. More than our education, I think. Yeah. Um, I think they're favorited, you know, um, episodes. Yeah. So we want to yeah. keep giving them to you guys. You have to give them to us. Yes, because we only have so many of our own. Yeah. Just yeah. Four. Just, just, just four <laughs> stories. Five children, four stories. Five children, four stories. I probably could tell about the time I met Ben. Oh, yeah. We should do that. You know, that was actually quite hilarious. Yeah. So I will. I'll tell that as a little yeah, that'll be aside right before maybe Corlin's first story. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, what are you talking about today, Megan? Well, we are talking about something that I think is really important to a lot of women. Yeah. A lot of women suffer from it. Um, and I'm really excited because <clears throat> I learn some things every time. Yeah. You know? And I tell, sometimes I'll have students ask me like really detailed things about certain conditions. And I have to remind them that I know like um, a little bit about a lot of things. And mm -hmm. I know a lot about birth. And, um, but when they start asking me about stuff, I just don't know. And this is one of them where I felt like I knew, you know, I, I understand what endometriosis is. But I didn't really understand like the pathophysiology of it and yeah, um, the prevalence. So yeah. we're going to talk about endometriosis today. AKA the uterine lining runaways. Yes, the uterine <laughs> lining runaways. <laughs> Christina comes up with all of our clever titles. She's so Sometimes they're not so clever, but hilarious. I enjoy them. So yeah, thanks. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to start with some statistics. It's funny because... Christina recently had an episode that she started with statistics and I was like, well, should I, am I copying her? Oh but no. I'm going to, I copied her anyway. Everybody likes a good statistic. Yeah. Even if they're bad. Yeah. They do. <laughs> AKA Christina's episode. Yes. <laughs> you have to go back and listen to that because it's so good. To hover, not to hover. Yeah. Yeah. To hover, not to hover. Okay. So let's just start. So endometriosis affects approximately 5 to 10% of women in general. That's However, it? well, it was not, not really because we don't really know. Right. This is just a rough estimate. Because there's a severity of symptoms. Yeah. Okay. And so Fair. there's lots of people who don't seek treatment too. Because so, women, again, I, I say this a lot, we're expected to just handle what comes our way right. and just deal with it. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. Just deal with it. Pain is nothing because right. you're a woman. Yeah. That's very generalized, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, yeah. totally. Yeah. And so I think that, that there's a lot of truth to that and that um, it's really unreported, you mm -hmm. know, and maybe they just think that the pain is normal or, yeah. you know, whenever when really it shouldn't be. Yeah. Um. So, however, okay. So five to 10% of women in general 
but 38% of women with fertility issues are suspected to have endometriosis. Oh, yes. So we'll talk a little bit more of that. It primarily occurs during reproductive age. It peaks between 35 and 45, and it's pretty rare in postmenopausal women. That makes sense. But because not unheard of. Yeah. You're, you're not bleeding. You're not bleeding. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of the culprit from right. what I found. So, um, In certain populations, such as patients with pelvic pain or women struggling with infertility, the prevalence can be up to 70%, though. Yeah. So looking at those particular populations. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's really, there's a lot of people out there who are suffering from this. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like, you know, I get it. Like, I hear about it. You probably have more experience with it, it, definitely. But, you know, um, I'll see it on people's prenatals or their records or whatever that they've had endometriosis. And I kind of get the other side where, you know, I'm taking care of these women who have overcome this Mm -hmm. to a degree and they're able to get pregnant and have babies. So It's actually, pregnancy is a reprieve from endometriosis Ah, because you have absence of menses. Yeah. 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 I didn't think about it like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, It's more common in first degree relatives of affected women. Mm -hmm. So there is a genetic component, but there's no clear pattern of genetic transmission. The body's a crazy place. It is. And I was going to say, I forgot to say this, um, like many, many ailments, um, through all different ways, it's poorly understood. This Mm -hmm. is not a really well understood disease. And so it gets misdiagnosed, I think, a lot and, mm-hmm. you know, mistreated perhaps. And um, so because it's just so it can be vague and yeah, um, hard to diagnose. Mm-hmm. So um, historically, it has been considered to be more common among Caucasian women. However, recent data suggests that the incidence is similar across ethnicities. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I found that to be interesting. Um Okay, so let's talk about what the endometrium is. We're going to talk yeah. about the uterus, the layers of the uterus, some kind of sciencey stuff. So there are multiple layers to the uterus, three. Oh, can I guess? Okay. <laughs> Shoot. Tell me the first I just one. Put, uh, the okay, myom- let's go from the outer. Oh, gosh. No, myometrium. Well, that's the inner. And then the, um, hold on, the round, hold on. The outside is... <laughs> Oh no, the I have I can't it remember. Around. The prefix means around. Starts with a P. Perry. Perry. I have no idea it's why. Perimeter. The pyramid. Oh, okay, you know why I'm having trouble is because, well, because I'm thinking the... of the amnion and the chorion oh. of a placenta. Okay, this not... is where my brain is. Yeah, I'm thinking of the uterus yes. now, and we've got the myometrium, and the paro. What? Okay, so pyramidium. Let's go outside. Okay, fine. Outside. <laughs> Listen, I haven't taken an anatomy. Yeah. She's also had a really long week and her brain is not functioning. No sleep. Yeah, it's no fine. Sleep. It's fine. This is Christina on no sleep. I there think I've know. mentioned it before. I'm yeah. quite goofy and don't make sense yeah. most of the time. But that's okay. That's fine. Because you're here. And we're I at least it. remembered one layer, okay? And I then the too. endometrium, okay? Right. Okay. <laughs> yes. So it's just that. I, well, so myometrium is something that's similar to endometriosis there's myometriosis as well so those are the two biggest complaints when there's pain and that's why the outside to me isn't as as relevant as relevant or important in my everyday life so go ahead i'm sorry back to you megan but the the parametrium (laughs) it's just this outer layer yeah it's like some connective tissue that surrounds the uterus yep 
And it has like epithelial cells. It's made of epithelial cells. Mm -hmm. And then you have your myometrium. This is the that's the a big, big boy. Yeah, the this, big. This is what thick you muscle. See. Yeah, it's the big thick muscle. It's what yeah. does all the work. Um, and it's composed of smooth muscle cells. Yeah, it's just you know are involuntary. They just do their thing. Very and, interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And then you have. Well, I always can think of the uterus compared to the heart too. Yeah, because the heart has very similar. Yes, anatomy actually, when you're trying to like relax a uterus, you'll use a cardiac uh, relaxant as well. Interesting. Because it relaxes the same okay muscle yeah. muscle type group. Yes. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. I love it. Okay. So we are going to talk about the endometrium though, mm -hmm. primarily, and this is the inner lining of yes. the uterus. So this lining grows, um, and it's stimulated by hormonal changes throughout the menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is this grows between menses. It like develops and grows during. Menses, between menses. Right. So as it's growing, it's creating a cushion or layer yes, for the egg to is. kind of implant into the wall. Because that's the whole purpose. It's right. like a bed for a new baby. It's a cushion. It's like a feather bed of yeah. endometrial cells. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And that's that's the primary function of the endometrium. It yeah. prepares for the implantation of a fertilized egg. Yeah. So um, it also will maintain the pregnancy. Yes. Yeah. So it feeds the that new embryo that has yeah. implanted. And if there isn't a um, implantation of a fertilized egg, then you have your period. And then and it, that it all sloughs off. Yeah, it sloughs off. Sheds off the lining. Sheds off. Your uterus is pretty cool. It is so cool. It's like. Favorites. Your uterus or the placenta? Oh, I mean the placenta is really cool. No, the placenta is actually my most favorite. If I had to choose a yeah. favorite organ in the body, the uterus is really annoying for many people. It can be, but what it is created for, designed for, is and how it works, amazing, and yeah. how it works, the whole yeah. cycle of it, like it's it's really cool. But it does very cause trouble. It causes a lot of yeah. trouble. So it is kind of good that you can remove it. I mean, and still live. Yeah. Still you know, live. other organs you couldn't like yeah. the similar muscle of the heart. Exactly. You can't live without that. You can't. It's right. impossible. <laughs> it really is. Anyway. It really is. <laughs> Thank you yeah. for that confirmation. <laughs> it's really hard to live in. Although, this leads me back to, I'm sorry, this is yeah. way off topic. Oh, no, that's okay. It looks interesting. But when I was in nursing school, yeah. I um, watched open heart surgery. You did? I sure did. And I was right like, there. Like, in the room or was it? From one of those. No, I was were in I was in there and I was up by the anesthesiologist on a stool so I really? could see oh everything that was happening. And let me tell you, so I saw the ribs being cracked wow. and opened. And there was two surgical like surgery teams because yeah. one was harvesting um a vein from the lower left leg. Yeah. Yeah. So like bypass. Yes. Cool. So what was really, really crazy is that you know, they open the chest and the heart is beating. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the heart stops beating because now there's machines on the side of the patient where the blood is circulating yeah. through and working as the patient's yeah. heart because they're fixing the heart right. and it's not beating. It's not moving. The machine is doing all of that. Yeah. And then they take that. Oh my gosh. I still vividly remember it in my brain. They took this, like they had, appropriately harvested this vein and he like um this surgeon like whoop and it was like three feet long i feel like it might not have been that long but as a nursing student i was like 
holy it just like he ripped it out of the leg and then it was like dangling and i was like there's a vein okay and so they took that and they put it in the heart and then they asked it um they asked me an acid base question and thank god i got it right oh you did because i yes like, i would not have been able to get that it was right. like <laughs> They were like, what state is this patient in? I don't remember what How it was. How did you get that right? Because I studied when I was in school. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I got it right. And so then they were impressed. And then they started yeah. asking me more questions. So that was a mistake. Yes. Because <laughs> you only just knew a little, <laughs> a little bit. bit. Yeah. But it was very interesting. But this person was literally living yeah, without, without their, heart. their heart for moments mm-hmm. and then to watch it repeat. Oh my gosh, so, so cool. cool. Wow. What a cool experience. Yeah. I've seen a, I was able to witness many, many yeah. cool surgeries. I anyway, side couple. note. I just got a couple. Neither one of them were nearly as cool as that. Well, did you go to nursing school here? Well, I did. Well, it's a small little dog. It is I mean, they little. do really cool things here, but um, I was in a, I was really in a big hospital. We definitely and... don't do heart surgery here. Yeah. Of any kind. <laughs> I well, we do stents, but that would be. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So that was cool. That cool. was my whole, you can live without a heart for a moment. Oh, yeah. There you go. Sorry. Or a few. Because you can for just, just yeah. If you, you have, have to have some surgeons <laughs> that are <laughs> managing the situation. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, I, I told sure. you it was completely off topic. Yeah, but that is yeah. fascinating. I love yeah. that. Okay, cool. All right, let's get back to it. <laughs> let's get back to endometriosis. Okay, so endometriosis is defined as the presence of endometrium-like tissue on the pelvic peritoneum, which is this membrane that lines the inside of your abdomen and pelvis, um, or in the ovaries. Mm-hmm. So, um, these abnormal cells, and this is something like, I just knew the very basics of it. And I never had really thought about like how this grew in other places. And yeah. I researched and it. I was like, oh my gosh, they're like these literal cells, like just they're, they move. And do they hang on to where the, they move to? So there are multiple theories. Okay. About how. Yeah. I'm interested because I haven't cells. gone into the. Yeah, but but basically it's these abnormal cells that migrate in some way or another. I'm going to go through them. So um, normal endometrial cells um, without the capabilities to survive, however these abnormal cells do, generally are thought to go through like cell death or apoptosis when they like somehow get there. Yeah. So if normal cells somehow get there through bleeding or migration or whatever, they're just going to die. Right. But you have these abnormal endometrial cells is what they think is, is how they are persistent. Okay. So I kind of was thinking of like, you know, persistent cancer cells. They're Mm -hmm. abnormal, kind of the same. They're not cancer cells. Right. But but kind of in the same way is kind of how I was thinking about it. Okay. So, um, Oh, I put this comment in thinking about cancer too. Why do abnormal cells get to take over the world? Seriously. Yeah. Honestly. Normal cells just like overcome what's yeah. going on. It's, it is our bodies. They're fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So there are mul- multiple different types of lesions that'll form depending on where it's happening. Yeah. And so if it's in the pelvic per- peritoneum, they'll develop these red and bluish black lesions. And I've got some photos for you. We're going to look, but we're going to wait. I want to wait because um, we're going to talk about adolescent endometriosis, which is a little That's bit. That's really sad. But yeah, and it manifests in a little different way. So 
Um, and then you have if it develops in the odories, oh, the odories. The odories. <laughs> okay, now I you are teasing me. I couldn't remember the outer layer, and you're like talking about odories. Yeah. No such thing. If anybody knows what an odory is, please write in. Yeah. I'd like too. to know what an odory is. Yeah. <laughs> Have you I ever don't... played that game Balderdash where yeah. you make up what like something a... oh, is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been years, but okay. Uh oh, let's balderdash on our Instagram. Yeah. What's an odory? What's an odory? <laughs> oh, I'm interested. Let's see. What, oh, that's so funny. Like. I know, very good. However, we do have ovaries. Yes. Yeah. So if they develop in the ovaries, then they become these like blood-filled cysts. Um, or endometriomas, because it's like a tumor, yeah. oh, meaning tumor. So they, they can develop. So they're just a little bit different. Um, it's pretty um, uncommon for this next um, lesion, but it's deep endometriosis can be found in the rectovaginal septum, bladder, and bowel. So it can go that far, mm -hmm. but it's really rare. It's like less than 1%, about 1% of women of reproductive age. And only 20% of women with endometriosis will have it develop in those areas. Okay. Yeah. So it primarily will stay in the pelvis. the pelvis area mm -hmm. of the ovaries. What about the back? The back? Like near your back, you know, by your spine. Oh, I don't know. I didn't find anything about okay. that. Maybe it's not um, really a common place either. Yeah. I, I suspect that it can probably be found anywhere, mm -hmm. um, especially yeah. in the abdominal cavity. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um. Oh, something else interesting I thought. Um, oh, yeah, because it does say on very rare occasions mm. um, that it will. It will. Go to the back. Yeah. Well, that it's really can rare. Migrate from the pelvic. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. But it is really rare. Yeah. Um, like, so rare, that's all they mentioned in the article. Okay. Interestingly enough, ovarian cancer does occur at higher than expected rates in those who have endometriosis. Well, that makes sense because if endometriosis is an abnormal cell, right. cancerous yes. cells develop are abnormal. Are abnormal. And so, you know, you could, it might lead to, you know, increased proliferation yeah. of the uterine wall or whatever. Yeah, I agree. Um, but this, but it did mention that ovarian cancer just is still overall pretty low. Oh, but what about, um, you know, I was thinking not ovarian, but I was thinking uterine cancer. Um, yeah, it didn't mention, it didn't mention that uterine cancer. They, I'm going too deep now. Yeah. It is specifically what I had read and I could have missed it in my reading, but, um, the ovarian cancer is what was specifically mentioned. Yeah. That makes sense. But there was not a causation that had been established. Mm. So it's just kind of one of those things. Yeah. That there's probably not enough research, research. Done and not enough people because it's not super yeah common, so. yeah and ovarian cancer is relatively quick yeah you know so there's not a lot of right time to be time studying to. what's caused yeah what exactly. mm -hmm. okay yeah so there are multiple stages um of endometriosis so and they kind of just break it down into like the amount of lesion lesions really okay. Um, so stage one, and they grade it by points. So they'll kind of okay. give you points and then they'll add that up and kind of like add up to the severity. And then that's going to help to determine treatment and stuff. Okay. Like so, um, stage one, um, is either minimal or few superficial implants. Okay. So, um, stage two. They can remove those. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, stage two is mild and more deep implants. Mm -hmm. And then stage two. Three. Three. Is that they give up <laughs> stage three is moderate, 
There's many deep implants. There's small cysts on one or both ovaries. Oh. And then there's the presence of filmy adhesions as well. Filmy adhesions. Yeah. That just sounds bad. Know, adhesions it? are it painful. Like pain. Yeah, it sounds yeah. painful to me. Um, and then stage four is severe, many deep implanted lesions, large cysts on one or both ovaries, and many dense adhesions. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be pretty severe yeah. and painful, I yeah. suspect. Yeah. So these are further broken down, and I'm not going to talk about further because they, they go really deep, but they're further broken down into categories that provide a more in-depth description. Yeah. So just know that. But those are kind of the primary ways that they're broken down. So let's talk about kind of the different causes. And these are all kind of theories about how or why they migrate. Yeah. So um, the lesions originate from abnormal endometria tissue, tissue stem cells is one of the theories that migration happens during menstruation, which is pretty well established, I think, overall, and then spreads through the body via the lymphatic vessels. Oh. Blood. Yeah. Oh. So that's interesting. Okay. So that's one way. Okay. I know I can see it. You're like, I'm really trying to, trying, trying to process to, this. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but it really just has to do with the uh, abnormal mm -hmm. um, stem cells from the endometrial tissue. Yeah. Okay. And so that's one potential cause. Yeah. And these are all just potential. Theories. Thi They're yeah. theories. Yeah, that's theories what's so potential. sad about it. Yeah. Um, then there is a potential for retrograde menstruation. So where the period flows upward through the fallopian mm -hmm. tubes and into your pelvis instead of out your vagina. Yeah. Which sounds terrible. Yeah. Um, this in itself isn't in inherently bad, but it can cause painful symptoms and conditions like endometriosis. Yeah. Yeah. So interestingly, I'm researching and one oh. of the things that they mention is when you have intercourse during your cycle, it could potentially oh. increase your risk for retrograde, retrograde menstruation. menstruation. Oh, it's a theory for a cause, a potential of endometriosis, which I think it's, I'm, I'm not sure. Like, I don't know that I have a lot of buy-in for it, yeah. but it is a theory. Yes. And I think anytime you don't have an, a real identifiable um, cause, then theories all need to be considered, oh, yeah, I agree. you know, yeah. so it could be something. It could be something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is thought to be, this retrograde menstruation is thought to be a contributing factor mm -hmm. to endometriosis. Okay. Okay. So the next one is cellular metaplasia. And this is when the cells change from one form to another. So cells outside the uterus change into endometrial like cells and start to grow. Stop. I Like know. transformers. Kind of. It's like, you know what? The uterus sounds like a party. I want to be like yeah. that. And then they and then switch. it starts to grow. But why? Well, how does that happen? Well, how? I don't know. That's I, beyond that's that's beyond cellular. My... <laughs> yes, that's like cellular something. Cellular something, people. Beyond me. Beyond me. Yeah. And that's, I didn't go. No, how could you? I mean, that's gotta be so vast. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. it is a theory. Okay. Whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not undervaluing that. But it's just like, how does your, how, I mean, cancer well, yeah, transfer. Exactly. Oh, okay, I mean, fine. Because our body does crazy, wacky things. It really does crazy, wacky yeah. things. And we have no, we have no rhyme or reason most right. of the time. Well, not most of the time, but a lot, a of, lot times, of time. We just don't know why. Yeah. Happen. It's like interstitial cystitis, yeah. which. I'm going to talk about eventually oh, because that is yeah. something that just happens and we have no idea why. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, I'm excited to hear about that because I can see a picture in my head of what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. The next one, surgical scar implantation. So abnormal cells may attach to a surgical incision during a C-section or a hysterectomy. Okay. And um, then they can grow in these areas. Or that's what introduces them to. With a hysterectomy though? Because then wouldn't it matter? I did say with the hysterectomy incision. Um, like in the abdomen, like if oh, was, like if they're already there, doggone. Because yeah. yeah. theoretically, getting rid of the uterus would, would solve yeah. the problem, right? Right. I but mean, if you had these cell, like during the surgery or something, oh, the cells. Mixed. Those little cells. I want to call them the B word, but I'm not gonna. I know. Okay. Seriously, keeping it. Yeah. Rated G around right. here <laughs> as much as possible. <laughs> So the last potential cause that I found was just an immune system disorder that basically prevents the body from recognizing and destroying these abnormal cells. I see. So Yeah, that makes sense. Lots of different ways that they can be introduced potentially. And I see all of the ways. The transformer one is a little off to me, but it makes sense if you break it down. Yeah. Um, it just isn't immediately scream oh yeah you know i mean the other ones are a little more clear pathway right yeah okay so um additionally it is thought that women who suffer from endometriosis may have a higher number of um, abnormal cells in their endometrial tissue just to begin with Oh, so they have a, have a higher volume? So they volume? just already have, yeah, there's just more than like the average person. So people with heavier menses? Oh, or is it like volume of? Well, they just have a higher normal, uh, <laughs> a higher number of abnormal cells. Oh, they have like a higher the number other, of abnormal like, cells. Yeah, like if okay. I had endometriosis, it would be thought that I just had an abnormal, abnormal increased number of abnormal cells versus somebody. Who I see. Yeah. That, that, makes, that sense. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so then just by default, they're going to have, uh, it's going to be those abnormal cells. There's going to be more of them to travel and migrate to other places. Yeah. Someone who has less. Right. You could increase cells. your chances of abnormality yeah. with increased abnormal yeah. cells. Exactly. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. I was just picturing it different in my brain. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you got that. <laughs> no sleep people yeah. Sorry. So a little bit more about these cells so these abnormal cells um, could possibly be influenced by genetics or environmental influences such as inflammation and endocrine disruptors and I'm going to talk about these okay so epigenetics I think is really interesting yeah and it's all these environmental or external factors or you know genetic components that can change your cells and um, you know as you age and grow and you know even um oh i had talked a little bit about with nutrition epigenetics and you know when you're deprived of nutrition like the um remember i talked about the famine yeah the dutch famine yes so like what your you know mom ate ate or didn't eat can affect oh. your health later on in life like diabetes yeah. increased risk of diabetes hypertension stuff like that um so anyway some of these endocrine disruptors these can be natural or synthetic chemicals that may mimic or interfere with the body's hormones, causing disruptions in the body's natural regulations of these hormones. So examples of these yeah. endocrine disruptors are plastic bottles and containers, liners of metal food cans, oh. detergents, specific detergents, certain toys, um, cosmetics, pesticides, BPA, like all these kinds of the things, things could potentially affect your, um, your genes yeah. and how they're right. 
um, that makes sense. Dividing. Yeah. Anyway, interesting. Oh, another one. Um, yeah, the BPA. So this is used to make polycarbonate plastics and epoxy resins. Mm -hmm. Well, I just redid my countertops in epoxy resin. Excellent. I know. Well, um, hopefully menopause is soon. No, I'm kidding. No, I was going to say, I'm glad I'm like almost through that childbearing age. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. Um, also, this really big word, it's called polybrominated diphenyl ethers or PD, PBDA. And these are used to make flame retardants for household products like furniture, foam, and carpets. Oh. So like really when you're looking at like how we live. Yeah. In our society. Yeah. Like these endocrine disruptors are everywhere. Yeah. So that would just kind of make um, somebody a little bit more at risk mm -hmm. for developing this. So makes sense. Anyway, it is really interesting. Oh, and then um, triclosan is found in some antimicrobial and personal care products like liquid body wash. Uh huh. Yeah. So, okay. Anyway, interesting. Um, there is no known way to prevent endometriosis with all of that said. Yeah. There's just no way. You can't prevent. avoid all the things yeah. or even. And yeah. this is just all, you know, to like, these are endocrine disruptors. That's not a direct relationship to you. Right. Getting endometriosis. Like yeah. you could go live out in the woods, you know, in a dry cabin in an outhouse and drink from the stream and not be exposed to any of these. And you can right. still develop endometriosis. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So there are some risk factors though. Specific uh -huh. risk factors. So never having having given birth. Yeah, kind of interesting. On the list. And why is that, do you think? I don't know. They didn't really talk too much about it. Hmm. Because they don't really know. Probably. <laughs> yeah. My, um, huh. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't either. There's a whole. Never given birth. Never giving birth. Okay. Yeah. Um, interesting. Low BMI. So low weight. Okay. Lower weight okay. is a risk factor. Starting your period at an early age. Yeah. And that kind of makes sense maybe a little bit. Yeah. Um, going through menopause at an older age, because you're just yeah. prolonging that, how, how long you're going to be exposed to. The possibility of abnormal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On heavy menstrual periods that last longer than seven days. Oh, see, I knew. Okay. I knew there had to be a heavy something or yeah, other. Okay. That made sense to me. Uh-huh. Um, because it's just more opportunity. Yeah. Um, having higher levels of estrogen. Okay. Naturally. Yeah. Um, disorders of the reproductive tract. Um, and that, you know, like there's probably more abnormal cell proliferation or whatever. Okay. And yeah, I just made that up. I, it wasn't written down. <laughs> just, it made sense to me. It's, yeah. Like, what you're <laughs> envisioning that yeah. were abnormal to be. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense though. Um, one or more relative. With yeah, primarily yeah. like your mother, aunt, or sister, yeah, in the first generation or from you, mm -hmm. or something, you know. Um, and then any medical conditions that prevent the passage of blood from the body during menstrual periods, like that retrograde menstruation. Or remember, we had talked about the hymenal ring, yeah, so imperfect in or imperforate hymen, yeah, yeah, which by the way. They actually, um, somebody told me that the pain, Dr. Young, actually, she's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, she said that when there is an imperforate hymen and a young gal gets her first menarche, if okay. you will, yeah. um, there's no place for that blood to go. So it builds up in the pelvis and it causes extreme pain. Really? So they enter into the ER with an onset of extreme pelvic discomfort oh mm -hmm. interesting yes 
and there's a name for it. But of course, I'm so tired right mm -hmm. now. I don't think I can remember it. That's okay. It's a very interesting name. I think I wrote it down, actually. Keep going and I'll find it. Okay, do it. She yeah. was very excited. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so those are all risk factors. Oh, wait, there was one more that I forgot. Short menstrual cycles. So less than 27 days between cycles. Yes. Which means that you're just bleeding more. Okay. Right. Or more often. Yeah. Yep. All right. There are lots of um, symptoms. And Ugh. the number one symptom so bad. is going to be um, dysmenorrhea or um, painful menses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, this can, though, begin before the menstrual cycle and last several days. It consists of lower back pain, abdominal pain, pain between menstruation. Yeah. Um, all of those things. So pain, right? Pain is a big thing. Pain with intercourse. It can be um, painful during or after. Mm -hmm. even. Yeah. Um, excessive bleeding. So heavy bleeding, bleeding between menstruation, which is never normal. Yeah. And I think we're going to talk more about that. Yeah. yeah. We have, we have to talk all about the menses. Yeah. Eventually. Um, infertility. So that can be a symptom. Um, endometriosis may be diagnosed when seeking treatment for infertility. I think yeah. a lot of women find out that that potentially is the cause yeah. of their infertility. Um, fatigue, diarrhea, constipation, painful bowel movements, bloating, and nausea, um, particularly during menstruation. Um, oh, I did want to like talk about everyone's different perception of pain. We've talked about yeah. this in different episodes yeah. too. And may, some may not even realize that they're, what they're experiencing is abnormal. And so then that would be a whole nother, you know, maybe you just have, have these really painful menses. Yeah. That's just it's what just you think normal. life is about. Yeah. And, but, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Yeah. yeah. So I would say if you are having really debilitating pain surrounding your menses, you should go. Yes. See Christina. Be evaluated. Be evaluated. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You don't have to see me. I was You can saying. see anyone. Yeah, because you may not even live here. Yeah. <laughs> you could come to see me, but then it would, yeah, no. If you're somewhere else, go in. Yeah. in go in, be yeah. seen. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, um, a, a lot, I mean, there's usually something through trial and error that you can find to yeah. manage symptoms. Yeah. We're well, going to get to. Okay. Are you going to talk about managing symptoms? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna cool. Then I won't bring anything up. Okay. Not until I'm talking. About okay. It, and then you can butt in all you want. Yeah. Okay. Um, so there is not, this was interesting to me, that there isn't a correlation between the severity of pain and the extent of lesions. So some people could have lots of lesions and not have a lot of pain, yeah. or they could have very minimal lesions, be in stage one and have a lot of pain. It goes back to pain perception. Pain perception. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, anxiety and depression can also be found in well, with chronic pain. Yeah, anytime with chronic pain. Yeah. And then not having a real answer or a yeah. real... So a lot of women have a hard time getting people to listen to them yeah. and yeah. really take them seriously. They might see seven or eight providers before somebody will actually listen right. to their amount right. of discomfort. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And so the, like this, having this and dealing with this could potentially alter like people's quality of life, interfere with their internal relationships and stuff due to pain. So if you're having pain that is interfering with your quality of life, you should always get like seek some help. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. I didn't find it. Oh, you didn't find it. I'm sorry. I'm going to try to find it a different okay. way, if you don't mind. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, so diagnosis. How do you diagnose this bad boy? Well, 
they try lots of different ways. Um, so symptoms can mimic lots of other conditions, um, prolonging a correct diagnosis and treatment. So things like pelvic inflammatory disease or ovarian cysts or irritable bowel syndrome, these are all things that kind of go into like, let's rule this out. Let's rule this out. Yeah. Um, even though like, it's kind of like, like a diagnosis of exclusion. Yeah. Exactly. So it's not this and yeah. it's not this. Yeah. And then so it's not this. It must be this. Right. Yeah. Um, self, there are self-reporting screening tools with medical history that can help identify level of risk. Um, if people are experiencing these um, symptoms, so I just distracted Megan because yes. I found it. She found the word. So for an imperforate hymen, yeah. it's called hematocolpos. Okay, hematocolpos. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Yeah. Great, now we know. <laughs> I'm sure everybody was dying yeah, to know just like know. me. No, they weren't. Yeah. I'm sorry for the interruption. <laughs> okay. All right. Back to diagnosis. Diagnosis. So, um. It, part of, you know, there's lots of things that they're going to do, but one of the things too is they'll do a pelvic exam. Yep. And so you can feel for abnormalities such as cysts on organs and, or reproductive organs rather, and scars maybe mm -hmm. um, from the lesions yeah. on the uterus. Um, ultrasound can identify cysts like on the ovaries that could potentially, or in the ovaries that could potentially be endometriosis. Um uh, they'll do an MRI sometimes to gather information about the location and size of endometrial um, lesions and help with surgical planning primarily. Right. So really, there's no true way of identifying, even with all these imaging technology um, right. devices, because yeah. you have to visualize the abnormal cell. Right. Yeah. And there is, in development, like people are really wishing for, there's a blood test that they're just not very good though. Yeah. And they're just not, they're not very helpful. Yeah. But I think that ultimately that's kind of where the research is headed to try to find a dependable blood test. Right. Um, so um, verification of endometriosis can be done though with surgery and removing the lesions and looking at it. Yeah. Um, so they'll do it laparoscopically usually. Yeah. Um, and when they're going in, it's usually starts as like, okay, we're going to go in and see, let's go see yeah. what's in there, find something and see what's there, what's yeah. not there. And, and sometimes then, you come back with no yeah, answer. No answer, which then is really So hard. devastating. Yeah, it's true. So um, when they're in there, though, if they find them, this is the ideal time to remove them. Yep. Um, and they're not always going to remove them. It just kind of depends on the severity and kind of what they find. But they mm -hmm. can um, use heat or cautery to ablate them. Um, they can remove the cysts. Yep. Um, and this will generally result in improvement of symptoms and decreased pain once they get rid of those. Yeah. Um, and it's generally pretty important um, to pre preserve ovarian tissue for those who are wanting to. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was just, um, I was just thinking, you know, it does usually take away the pain for a number of years, but it's, and then it comes back. It's going to come back. So really, the best way to manage this is, um, hold on, let me get to The it. best, there I'm sorry, I interrupted. Yeah, no, that's okay. Because hormonal therapy is really yeah. the way. So let me get, let me, yeah. let me get to that. Okay. okay. So I wanted to talk about adolescence first because yeah, it's going to be this is interesting to me. like the same regardless, usually. Well, not necessarily surgical. Let me, let me just talk about this. Okay. So, um, in adolescence, dysmenorrhea is still the most common, yeah. um, uh, symptom. 
it's not as prevalent in adolescence, obviously. Um, most dysmenorrhea in adolescence is primary dysmenorrhea. So this is pain without any kind of pathology or disease presence in the mm -hmm. pelvis or medical condition. And usually it's just treated with like NSAIDs, mm -hmm. ibuprofen or whatever, yeah. and maybe some hormone suppression treatment with birth control or something okay. like that. But secondary dysmenorrhea is pain with the presence of some kind of pelvic disease or recognized medical condition. So the most common cause of secondary dysmenorrhea is endometriosis in adolescence. Wow. I know. I thought that was really interesting. That is, because yeah. I really haven't heard of it. So it's yeah. not very common. It's not very common. Okay. But if it's going to happen, it's most likely going to be due to endometriosis. Yeah. Um, about two-thirds of adolescents with dysmenorrhea that is not managed by NSAIDs um, for medication and hormonal therapy um, who undergo diagnostic laparoscopy surgery mm -hmm. will be diagnosed with endometriosis. Wow. So that's like that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. So really interesting. I thought that is very interesting. Poor babies. I know. Now the lesions are very different in adolescence though. Really? Yeah. Visually. Why don't you go ahead and scroll down to a. Oh, a I've got pictures. So we have pictures. I wanted Christina to be able to see the pictures. Um, you know, and if you just Google endometrial lesions, yeah. you'll be able to see them too. Um, so the lesions in adolescence are, is this, yep, here we go, are clear. Oh. They look almost like a little bubble on the surface. Yes, it looks skin. like a little fluid filled bubble. Yeah, like a little, like just a little bubble, just a bubble, like a clear bubble. Yeah, interesting. Well, there's a little bit of darkness underneath there. Yeah, a little bit. But if you look at the adult lesions, okay, so they can be clear or red. They can be hard to um, identify if if a provider is not familiar with specific adolescent endometriosis. I was just going to say, lesions. this you looks can... very benign. Yeah, it does. So I'm looking at, um, what is this? The just um, some internal some wall. Pelvic tissue. Um, and there's vascular... Um, you know, there's, you can see the vascular system. And then if I didn't just see the previous bubble or blister type, yeah, it looks like a little, blister. it's blister, but very clear. There's like yeah. on this picture, I would have said, oh, that's just a shine from yeah. the camera. Yeah. But it's one, two, three, four. There's seven there's, lesions right. on this picture yeah. alone. Yeah. Wow. So it's really important, I think. If you have an adolescent and they're having pain and maybe it's hard to diagnose that, you know, whoever's taking care of them is familiar with these type of lesions. This is on the anterior peritoneum. peritoneum yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, that's not great because obviously this is a young little gal with pain. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I looked ahead. <laughs> so the, but you can see the difference. So the adult ones are... They either have these dark red lesions, you can see, or they're like black blue. Yeah. And so they're much easier to identify. I mean, you look at that and you're like, that's definitely, oh, definitely it. tissue. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I thought that was the most fascinating thing at how different they are in adolescence. Yeah. Um, so the clear and red lesions in adolescence are more metabolically active. Mm -hmm. They're associated with increased prostaglandin production, causing pain and inflammation more so than the lesions in adult women. Interesting. I know. Prostaglandin. Yeah. Activity. 
that interesting? That is very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Most adolescents, when they are diagnosed, they are diagnosed with the earlier stages. Yeah. Which is good. It's a little easier to manage. So when we're talking about therapy and treating this pretty not rare condition, yeah, you know, a lot of women suffer from this. Um, the goal of therapy is really to relieve symptoms, obviously. Yep. Suppression of the disease progression, obviously. Yeah. Put those in parentheses. And then to protect future fertility. Right. Primarily in people who would like to be so fertile. Prevent the scarring of exactly. these abnormals. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so there is no cure or single best option. Yeah. And this is really one of those things like what works for you may not work for me. Right. You may have to try lots of different things. Yeah. So hormonal um, suppression using estrogen, primarily estrogen mm -hmm. um, is the best treatment for most people um, there. It's recommended to use suppressive treatment until actively trying to get pregnant because they're usually going to use birth control. Mm -hmm. So yep. that's kind of the like, you know, the, what's the good word for that? Holy grail. Yeah, there you go. Or no, just like, um, okay, so I want to get pregnant, but you have to suffer with yeah. the symptoms of endometriosis. So, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. We're like, so if you want to control the symptoms, um, you're taking birth control, hormonal birth control generally right. to relieve the symptoms. Well, then you can't get pregnant. Right. So, um, it's just something to think about. So what about absence of menses in general? with like an IUD. Oh. Cuz if you don't have yeah, um I if you don't have the expanding of an endometrial yeah, yeah, cell yeah. during menses. Yeah. Right, that's And good. that would be estrogen free, okay. but it would still be absence of menses with yeah. particular yeah. IUDs. Yeah. And it may work for some people and not others. Yeah, I think it's just it's definitely one of the ways, right? Yeah. So however you can get those hormones but when you're like, okay, I'm ready to get pregnant. You just have to kind of you're gonna have suck to, it up, buttercup. Yeah, yeah, and then hope you can. Which, yeah. But then once you achieve pregnancy, yeah. um, you then have relief of symptoms for that length of pregnancy, which is great. It is. Yeah. Um, another way that they'll use, they'll use the gonadotropin releasing hormone. Yeah. Agonist. Yeah. To inhibit the ovaries from making, from just making estrogen okay. and progesterone. So that seems to be pretty effective. Yeah. Um, yeah. So hormones are really the best way. Um, surgical removal of lesions are not necessarily recommended in ad, um, adolescent, adolescence because, because of scar tissue. Because of scar tissue yeah. forming adhesions. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And so this can contribute contribute to infertility or bowel obstruction, even with the adhesions. Yeah. So, um, I think surgical removal is the very last resort. Not unless yeah. they're really going to want to try to use the hormonal. Yeah. Solution. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, however, there isn't really enough data to show the benefit like outweighs the risk in adolescents using surgical procedures too. Yeah. So anyway, it's really interesting. So you saw the pictures, you saw the differences and yeah. I just wanted to, um, Ends with this quote. Okay. From this World Health Organization article. Yeah. I read this and you're going to, this is probably going to Oh make no, it's going to make me cry. I think it might. It's, it was so powerful to me and it's, it really oh, speaks to no. the whole reason why we are doing this podcast. Oh gosh, I'm already crying. I, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> and I'm tired and you're doing this to me. The people are going to think I'm crazy. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. I'm it's a little crazy. All right. Oh. 
Okay. So the World Health Organization quote says, addressing endometriosis will empower those affected by it by supporting their human right to the highest standard of sexual and reproductive health, quality of life, and overall well-being. Yeah. Like that is so profound. Yeah. I just love that so much. so much. Yeah. That's so good. I know. Because it's like just bringing awareness. Yeah. And so I really love awareness. Yeah. And just, you know, when something's not completely understood. Yeah people tend to shy away yeah, from trying do. to figure it yeah. out and because people want to know why the and why can't know why then fix then... the um fix the symptoms yeah. and you know one thing might not work yeah. and so you might have to work with your provider yeah. to do several different yeah. things until you get to yeah. the one thing that right. is good for you but there's there's no need to suffer right without somebody you know, doing an exam or, yeah. you know, looking at your history yeah. and really figuring out um, what's going on so that you can have a better quality of life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I didn't cry. I know. I'm glad. I made you cry before. Oh, my Maybe it gosh. Maybe wasn't impactful to you. I thought it was very impactful, yeah, actually. Right. I, I think that it's, yeah, I think that it's important for people um, to know yeah. that people care. Yeah. And they want to make things better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's endometriosis. I, mean, I hate endometriosis. I know. I do too. But there was really um, there was a lot of good information yeah. there for people to to be able to know a little bit more. Yeah. And maybe if you're experiencing these symptoms, yeah. maybe go, you're feeling empowered to just go and do, take care of it and go yeah. get help. Yeah, you're not alone for yeah, sure. You're not alone because I mean those statistics are so many Re- women. Yeah. Are, and if you have little babies that are really complaining of a yeah. lot of pain, don't ignore them. Yeah. 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 Advocate for them. Yes. To, you know, get the care that they need that's appropriate for them. Mm-hmm. Maybe, it, you know, the provider you're seeing or they're seeing is just not catching on to. And it's okay to go. And get a change, second opinion. And get a second opinion. Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Man, that was great. Thank yeah. you. No problem. It's we hope. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. But I didn't do anything yeah. today, so that was good. Well, don't um, forget to send us your stories. Yeah. Um, like all the things. Please like all the things. Um, follow some, us. Yes, follow us. Leave some comments on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Yes, if you don't mind giving us yeah. a review with a review. words. That's what I was trying A to review say. with words. Yeah. And I have decided... <laughs> Me solely. No, I talked to Megan today about um, when we post an episode onto our social media, um, just having the ability to comment and ask questions. Not that we're going to be able to answer all the questions, but it could lead us into further research and just kind of open discussion to you guys and um, have little communities maybe grow and, um, you know, be enlightened in other ways. Yeah. So kind of just a network of wonderful humans, yeah. um, you know, being kind to one another yes. on there and just talking about the episode, maybe something that you liked or a question yeah. that you have or, you know, whatever. Yeah, whatever. So we'll see how it, it progresses, but that's what I'm hopeful for. So yeah. if you enjoy an episode, go find us on um, Instagram and write a comment or yeah. say what you liked, what you didn't like, yeah. leave us a review. Yeah. Um, it helps our, um, uh, our findability. Is that a word? <laughs> I don't know, but I know what you mean. 
it helps people find us. If there's more likes, then when people are searching for other things, our podcast would go into a more um, recognizable search option. So, you know, the more you hit the like button, the better for us. And yeah, thank you for supporting us and listening and keep it up. Yeah. Send us your things. Yes. Send us your things. Be on the lookout for an upcoming giveaway. Giveaway for yeah. some cool merch stuff. Yeah. So. We hope you feel enlightened today. We do. Bye. Bye.